Hey everyone and welcome. Thank you for joining me this Thursday evening. I'm glad that you can make it. Looks like we've got a really active chat this time, which is good to see. Uh, and I know that there's a lot of people who are talking about the Rittenhouse case. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about Rittenhouse tonight because not much has changed since last week, uh, really. And I think that it, there's a lot of people, myself included, who would like to know what else is kind of going on and would like to talk about what else is going on in the world. So that's kind of where I'm going to, you know, draw your attention. But I would like to start this off by talking about something a little bit unusual, okay? So, let's start, stop talking, alright? By... I had a kind of a weird experience recently, which was... Well, actually, first, if I'm really low resolution, turn your resolution up. But I was part of this kind of conservative uh, group online, and one of the people there said, well, I don't understand why so many people are being attacked for being gay. We need gay conservatives. And I'd like to kind of address that, um, because I think it's actually an interesting point, and it's an interesting topic, and I don't think it's being covered uh, really at all, because everyone's kind of focused on the news and nobody talks culture anymore. Nobody talks about what conservatism is. Uh, so firstly, I will say that I'm not... Um, I'm not going to sit here and attack a person for having homosexual ideation. That's, that's not me. It's not my thing. Um, I think different people have different vices and different challenges. However, when a person decides to kind of promote themselves as being gay and present that as a virtue, you know, I'm, I'm gay and proud and I'm a gay, proud, conservative and all that, I think therein we do actually have a problem and therein we should be critical of that. And because it really comes down to what does it mean to be a conservative? And I know that the term has been lost. In, in, in many cases, it's been surrendered, and that's why so often now I call myself a traditionalist instead of a conservative. Um, but for the purpose of this particular discussion, I want to talk about what it means to be a conservative, because it's like, well, what are conservatives conserving? That's what it really comes down to when you really kind of look at the issue. Yeah, apparently D-Live's not coming in very well. I, I don't know why. Uh, but in any case, uh, when it comes to what conservatives are conserving, what we were supposed to be conserving was Western values, which are sometimes called Christian values. They were one and the same. And at the very root, the foundation of that is the family unit. There is nothing without the family unit. And I, I think that we kind of err when we ignore that. And it's also one of the main reasons that those on the left have been kind of compromising the family unit and what it really is for such a long time. Because it's it's been progressive, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, no pun intended, but it has been rather progressive that over time we have kind of ignored um, what conservatism is as we've diluted the very meaning of family and family unit. And so, you know, you, you kind of, uh, we're at a point now where not only do we say, hey, you know, gay marriage is equivocal in some way to a real marriage. Um, but more than that, we're, we're at the point where we're talking about, you know, uh, homosexuals adopting children. Uh, children that they wouldn't be able to have naturally, normally, and so on. We're, we're surrendering the family unit in every regard. And as we do that, we dilute conservatism because conservatism is based on the principle of Christian values. And Christian values have to start from the family, they start from the home and they go outward into the kind of small community and 
and, and from there, from the smaller community, uh, into ideally what you might call Christendom, which is kind of where we we live amongst the ruins of Christendom at this point. That that's the truth. The truth is that the the best parts of our society are built on the ruins of Christendom. That we don't we don't have what we used to have. We don't have a history anymore because it's been so eroded by academia. We don't have a set of values because no one can agree what they should be. And, and at least in prior times, when you had the sort of old, older left and right, like 60 years ago or something like that, you, you kind of did have at least a sort of generalized agreement on, on central values. Sure, there was some disagreement as to what direction the country should take, but more or less, there was you know, a positivity toward things like the family unit. Now you have people saying, well, the nuclear family is inherently evil in one way or another. Cal DeFranco says Lady Maga would disagree. Well, yeah, I'm sure that he would. Um, Lady Maga, for those who don't know, is a trans person. It's a man in drag who, you know, pretends to be all kind of make America great again and all of that. And on the surface, the easy thing to do is to say, hey, that's great. We've got somebody else who's, you know, pro make America great again, right? We've got somebody else who's on our team and who can draw more eyeballs or whatever. Let's be inclusive and welcome this person. That's the easy route to take. It's always the most difficult route to say, hey, what do we stand for? Like, do our values really matter? And because when you start incorporating the drag queen, you know, Lady Maga, if you want, um, you've already surrendered those. You've already surrendered what it means to care about decency. And that's the real problem, because if you don't care about decency, then what are we doing? Are we really just arguing about tax rates? Is this really just an economic fight? Because for me, it's not. For me, I, you know, yes, I want to be able to afford food. Um, but generally speaking, this isn't an economic battle. It's, for me, my entire interest in doing this work is about culture. That's it. It is about sort of reclaiming Christendom in some sense and reminding people about the values that mattered most. And for kind of conservative ink, the concern is not that. It's sort of winning small arguments with the left every once in a while being popular enough to still get on the Bill Maher show even when you do so and still get your articles in Time magazine every once in a while and that kind of thing but really being inclusive and what does that mean well, to what degree should we be inclusive with those who don't share our values to what degree should you include somebody who wants to put let's say men in girls bathrooms I mean there, there has to be a line and that's what I'm talking about it's like if we if you're talking about basic fundamental values, then you do have to draw a line somewhere. Uh, Geek Riken says, I don't have a problem with homosexuals, I have a problem with the gender theory and all of that anti-scientific nonsense. Well, I think that homosexuals are um, anti-scientific nonsense. Stay with me, okay? So here's the thing. We kind of, um, some time ago now, decades ago, came up with this whole idea that there are basically uh, two modes of sexual attraction. There's heterosexuality and there's homosexuality and doesn't really, you know, you're born that way, you're one of these two things, therefore because you're born that way and it's intrinsic to your person that there's no reason to kind of hold any qualms about it. Well, on what basis did we establish that? I mean, in the most literal sense we established it because a bunch of 
uh, homosexual men petitioned, and by that I mean sent threats to, uh, the American Psychiatric Association and so on to remove homosexuality from the DSM. But that's not really what I'm getting at here. What I mean is, why did we decide that homosexuality is a sexual orientation but not bestiality? Why did we decide that homosexuality is a sexual orientation but not pedophilia? Yeah, I know they're going that way, but stay with me. The thing is that if you define orientation simply by, well, there happens to be an attraction, and does that really make sense? It doesn't to me. When you really break it down, here's the thing. A, an attraction that does not and cannot lead to the furtherance of the species is by its nature unhealthy and unnatural. Therefore, it's not an orientation, it's actually an unhealthy mode of being. And that says nothing about the person who has a homosexual attraction. You know, I mean, seriously, I have the pity on the person who does. And there are some people who really struggle with it, and some good people, in fact, who really struggle with that. But I won't entertain the idea that it's just, you know, the person's born that way. In fact, we've found the different combinations. Um, sorry. We've found the different... Um, ways in which a person is more likely to, you know, experience those things due to the way that they were raised in childhood, due to, in fact, being exposed to pedophiles and being assaulted in those ways. We found that having an over, overzealous, I think might be the right word here, uh, mother, having an absent father, these are things that, um, that, that cause that problem. So, you know, I kind of reject the the principal uh, point there. Although it is the dominant line of thought, so I'm glad that you brought it up. Okay. Well, John Cox says, Gays are one thing, this militant gay mafia, shove it down everyone's throat, is something else entirely. Well, y yes and no. I mean, the, the militant gay mafia is the problem for, for me. Um, you know, I, I described just a second ago how I don't think that homosexuality is an equivocal uh, sexual orientation. I think that's an important point that I think that few people have ever, ever really stopped to think about. But yeah, the fact that people are brazen about it and the fact that they're exposing kids to it, that's, that's of course the, the primary concern. In other words, a broken family causes problems and deviancy. Yes, and our our job should be to create, you know, a healthy society which begins with a healthy family unit, which is unbelievably rare at this point. Okay. Um, anyway, I guess we should move on from that. It's just something that I wanted to, to kind of say because I, I kind of hear this this kind of confusion amongst some people who are part of the so-called conservative movement who don't really understand why we should speak up. Like, what really the problem is. And apparently we're having some YouTube freezers, which is uh, a real pain. Sorry about that. Uh, doing what I can here. All right. Uh, let, let's move on after I get a drink, okay? All right. So, there has been a terrorist attack that was not done by a normal white male, because otherwise you'd know his name. Uh, no, seriously, this happened in England, in Liverpool specifically, on Sunday, the 13th of November. The the guy's name is Imad Al-Swalmin. As you can tell, very British-sounding name. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, seriously, uh, let's go ahead and pull this picture up, in fact. There's the, the gentleman here who ended up uh, killing himself, actually. It was a suicide bomb that went wrong. 
and he wasn't able to hurt anybody else, but he was targeting Liverpool Women's Hospital, uh, which is a really sweet place to target, on Remembrance Sunday, which, you know, is often you'll find that uh, Muslims like to target during times of memorial for, you know, soldiers and that kind of thing. And that's what we saw in this place. But anyway, his bomb did go off early, and so nobody else was injured, which is fortunate. You also have... Um, he, he drove up in a cab, and the cab driver, cab driver rather, uh, locked him in when his uh, explosive device started malfunctioning. And so he was locked in there with his own bomb, and everybody else was kind of protected whilst he, um, well, died. I'll put it that way. The What's kind of most interesting about this particular story, though, is the fact that he's being presented as a Christian or Christian convert. And so some of the... Some of the media outlets are seriously advertising, and I will say advertising, that he's like, like, like he converted to Christianity and as a result now he's blowing himself up, like that's a thing, you know, like you just hear about so many of these different Christians who are just like, wow, you know, now that I've read some Bible, now I want to go and blow myself up outside of a woman's hospital, like, that happens. Um, no, seriously, <laughs> what's actually happening is that in... Britain, like in a lot of countries, it's easier to get an asylum application approved if you can say, hey, uh, I can't go back to my country of origin because I'm a Christian now and I'll get persecuted where I come from. And so if you, if you can prove that you would face some kind of persecution upon return to your home country, then that, that's kind of like an asylum uh, application, approved rather. Uh, so that's what he did. And the Church of England sometimes referred to in this country as the Anglican Church, but over there it's referred to as the Church of England, has been working with a lot of different immigrants um, or asylum seekers and Muslims. And it has been stated in multiple occasions that they know, that is the church knows, that a lot of these people have no interest in actually converting to Christianity. That's not why they're doing it. They, their, their heart's not in it, and it's very obvious, and yet the church itself is kind of just playing along. And the Church of England is one that's just been incredibly, I guess woke might be the term to use at this point, because, I mean, seriously, when you look at all the different announcements out of the Church of England, it's just pathetic. And, you know, striking back to the, the last topic, actually, the Church of England is one that is no longer willing to, you know, make any statements about homosexual activity, not even just talking about gays now, talking about what, you know, actually what they do. And I'm willing to actually say whether it's sinful or not. And yes, I get it. You're in a country where you have hate speech laws. It's like, well, it's, it's literally your job to speak up. It, I mean, if, if you're going to say that you're going to spread the gospel, if, you, if you're going to say that you're going to preach, then preach. But don't preach like a half message, you know, because the government is a problem. It's like, I mean, throughout the, the history of the 20th century and the Soviet Union and so on, you had decent Christians who went over there and tried to, you know, preach and did preach, not a diluted message, the full message, a great personal risk to themselves. And this, you know, has happened, frankly, throughout Christendom. You've had different missionaries go to different parts of the world and do what they can to spread the word, great personal risk. And now you've got people in the modern churches who are just shutting up and diluting down their own messages because... Uh, I don't know. It's, I mean, I guess because they're just cowardly or because they don't believe what they're preaching. Maybe both. But that's that's literally the case. The Church of England is absolutely atrocious at this point. 
you've got a lot of different. Uh, I think there's an archbishop that recently left, in fact, because he was just tired of the woke the wokeness. It was just that bad. And I imagine to be like to become a high rank enough to be like a, an archbishop in the Church of England, and then to leave after that, it it would really take some doing. Anyway. This, uh, I'm getting back to the topic at hand, which is our bomber, uh, Swalmin, who apparently was at a mosque all day, every day, during Ramadan, and in the weeks leading up to the bomb plot, or the suicide bombing, whatever you want to call it, uh, yeah, he was there all the time. So when they called him a Christian convert in, in some like, headlines, as if, because basically these media outlets, they know that people don't click. They know that people just read the headlines and regurgitate on Twitter. You know, it was a Christian. He wasn't a Muslim. It's like, I mean, and so and that's why they do it. You have to read, you know, halfway down an article to find out, oh, you mean he just converted for his asylum application? Didn't believe any of it. Still observed Ramadan. Still went to the mosque. Spent lots of time at the mosque because he was pretty hardcore. I mean, inarguably, you have to be pretty hardcore to be willing to blow yourself up uh, for it, right? Um, and why is it just so incredibly hard for these outlets to say Islamic terrorist? Because they were pretty willing to say Christian convert, and a heck of a lot more willing to say Christian convert than they were to say Islamic terrorist. When he was an Islamic terrorist, and in the most real sense, was not a Christian convert. So the titles were just lies. And then I read this, um... I read a statement from Russ Jackson, who is part of the counterterrorism unit over in England, and, and the actual quote says, I quote, Although the motivation for this incident is yet to be understood, given all the circumstances, it has been declared a terrorist incident, unquote. Really? Like, the motivation for the incident is yet to be understood? Like, we're just a little bit unclear. Uh, I mean... Doesn't this stuff drive you crazy? Because it does me. And, like, still, even still, that they just called it a terrorist incident, but didn't say an Islamic terrorist incident. And it matters. Motivation matters, does it not? I mean, it does to all the different news outlets who reported that he was a Christian convert, so it did to them. It was, it was quite significant to them. But to this guy, whose entire job is, you know, counter-terrorism, he didn't think it was particularly relevant what the motivation was. In fact, he said that, you know, it's yet to be determined. I mean, the guy was constantly going to mass and, sorry, not going to mass. He was constantly going to the mosque in the lead up to his suicide bombing. And suicide bombing is something that's pretty specific to Islam, in fact, right? Because they're trying to die during jihad and all of that. It's, yeah. Uh, sorry about the uh, in and out internet quality, apparently. Hopefully it doesn't die completely. Hold on, let me get a drink. But these are the people who just cannot say the words Islamic terrorist. And you know, you remember when uh, Barack Obama kind of refused to say Islamic terrorist too, even when there was the um, shooting at the, at the gay bar in Orlando, Florida? You know, even then, Obama was unwilling to use the phrase Islamic terrorist, and Trump came along and said that he would, you know, he just kind of came out and called, and that was honestly one of the best things about Trump to this day, was his rhetoric, was his willingness to just say what people thought, and to say what the truth was. That was actually, you know, it was what I liked most about him. You know, there's some people who are like, well, if he just didn't tweet so much, 
Um, <laughs> for me, it was like, no, actually, I just want him to be honest. I just want an, a, a politician who actually says what he thinks. But that's all I want. And there were a lot of people who felt that way. Um, Trevor, uh, Trevor Smith says, are they going to interrogate the corpse? Well, no kidding. It's like they, they know what he was what he was doing and why he was doing it. We all do. I mean, he's devout enough to spend all that time at the mosque. Then he goes there to intentionally blow himself up using a suicide vest. Um, he fails, but that's immaterial, and he does so on a day which is very common for Muslims to enact such um, attacks. You know, any sort of memorial day. It looks like kind of like you saw the Lee Rigby killing with the soldier who was hacked up in the streets. The soldiers are, you could say, a, a point of contention for Muslims in England because they fought in the Middle East, and as it's viewed from the lens of the uh, Islamic terrorists, they're people who have you know, attacked their brothers or their brethren or whatever. That's that's the mindset. Okay. Anyway, um, let's move on. Let's move on. I, I wanted to cover that because... No, he didn't fail in blowing himself up. He, he failed in blowing anyone else up and doing any damage besides just to the, um, to the car. So he would be disappointed, but it worked out better for us. Uh, that sounds a little harsh, but it, it is true. Okay, so... In, let's talk a little bit about Loudoun, Virginia, because that's the place, you know, Loudoun County is the place where we've had this kind of massive school board battle uh, for some time now. I'm just kind of reminding you of it in regards to their uh, transgender policies. See, you know, it's the place where they basically wanted to put, you know, boys in women's bathrooms and, and where you, and locker rooms, of course, and where you had the girl who was uh, sexually assaulted. But actually, two girls were sexually assaulted by one boy who was wearing a skirt at the time and pretending to be a girl, and so on. But he wasn't pretending to be a girl past simply his choice of clothing, of course. He was still willing to engage in a sexual act as a man, because he had no other choice, because he in fact was one. Uh, yeah, so that, that, that place, which got a lot of different media attention from, uh, from both sides, actually. Well, there was one teacher there. His name was Tanner Cross. He was worked at Leesburg elementary school, and he criticized uh, their policy, their transgender policy, that's 8040 is what it was called, at a school board meeting in May. Uh, now, before I go on, the policy 8040 requires school staff to refer to students by their preferred pronouns. Um, in addition to that, uh, it required the all activities to be open to students according to their gender identity, so we're talking about, you know, sports, which also includes locker rooms, uh, to allow students access to facilities corresponding with their so-called gender identity. So again, bathrooms, locker rooms, and so on. And it required that the teachers complete training on topics related to LGBTQ plus students. That's their phrasing, not mine. All right. So this particular teacher, Tanner Cross, he was um, rightly upset. And he, you know, talked at several of these meetings saying that he is a, as he put it, teacher, but serves God first. He was suspended from teaching by the school board. And this was another lawsuit that the uh, Loudoun County School Board was involved in. And his point, I always kind of wonder if it's a little um, unnecessary to use a religious argument in, in this topic. I mean, look, I'm a Christian. I, I make, I don't hide that. I wear it on my sleeve. But at a certain point, I just kind of feel like truth is truth. And nobody should be forced to lie. And ultimately, when you say 
you're you're required to use the wrong pronouns, for example. You're requiring a person to engage in a lie. And I do think that, um, well, that's it's kind of an issue. Anyway, he said, quote, I can't say anything harmful or lying to a child. I will continue to create an environment where there's always respect and dignity and love and care to my students, unquote. So, he, I mean, he saw it correctly, the fact that he would be lying in order to engage in this, and then he kind of made an argument that it would be discriminatory against his religious beliefs, because his religious beliefs said that he can't lie, um, or that it's sinful to lie. And as a result, he's actually won a settlement, the, the Loudoun County School Board settled with him, agreed to pay his legal fees, and also agreed to abide by an injunction permanently preventing retaliation based upon his speech. Okay, so there's actually a, a lot to unpack there, right? But what we're talking about is actually really, I mean, it's a positive development. It's ridiculous that a teacher would have to actually file a lawsuit against the school board for being willing to only speak truth. Because that's what it comes down to, you know, to, to look at a boy and call him a boy and so on. Uh, regardless of what the young boy, Mrs. Elementary School, regardless of what the young boy is kind of playing. And I'm going to call it playing. Uh, and regardless of what evil stuff that the, the, the parents are putting into the, these kids, because in some cases you do have these, and I'm just going to say women because every instance I've seen has been a woman who is telling her, her little boy, hey, you're a girl. I, I wonder if it's honestly just because she wanted a girl and so on, or if she's trying to simply get uh, attention. And so on. In that, in, that, in that instance, it's kind of like a Munchausen by proxy kind of thing. Just, just give me attention by hurting my child. You know, it really is very similar to that. And it's evil. I, I think it's a, it's a step in the right direction, but at the same time, it's unnerving that we're at a point in time where it's not simply intrinsic and obvious that, yes, of course, you can use the truth. Yes, of course you can speak the truth. In fact, as a school and an educational facility, that's kind of what we're about, because that's what they should be about. Instead, increasingly, they're all about um, degeneracy and, I guess, teaching lies, quite literally. Because when it comes to the entire so-called gender identity topic or the gender war, that's what it's about. It's, it's about absolutely denying truth and confusing, in some cases, young children. Again, these are elementary school children, so this shouldn't even be an issue. Um, and, and confusing them with what they, with one of the few things that they know to be true. Because when you talk to a young kid, their, their view of the world is limited, naturally. But one thing they know for, for sure is, hey, I'm a boy and that's a girl and girls are icky. You know, th th these are the very kind of fundamental things. And instead, you've got some adult um, in a position of great power saying, well, no, that's not true at all. You know, that, that girl isn't a girl. That, that's, that's a boy, too. And, and you have to believe it and you have to say so, too. And it, the entire situation really is sick and twisted. Um, Dark Bravo says, this pronouns and subjective identity garbage is a big problem. I miss asylums. Well, yeah, and in better times, we would have filed all of this under the auspices of delusion, because that's what it is. Because we're, we are engaging in a sort of mass delusion or mass hysteria by requiring that we ignore truth and all speak lies in unison, and anybody who refuses to is punished by the collective. 
that's horrendous in so many ways. And it's also something that happened in different tyrannical regimes, especially in the USSR. It happened a lot where people were required to kind of speak a certain set of set of facts which weren't. And uh, it was used as a kind of way to gauge whether or not a person was willing to comply. Uh, and that actually happened a lot. Um, John says, using preferred pronouns means that we have to believe the lies over the truth of what our own senses tell us to be true. Well, yeah, I, to some degree. I mean, I think that they would be happy if, for example, let's just say I was in that situation. I think that such people would generally be happy, or content at least, if I were to say what they wanted me to say, even if they knew that I didn't believe it. Because it's far more about compliance and groupthink than it is about me actually believing it. And that's something that, I've, that was definitely the case in the USSR. It was always about, are you willing to actually comply with, with something that is incredibly unreasonable and in some cases outright humiliating? I think that when you, when you are required to speak a lie based upon what somebody else uh, mandates, and this is actually similar with the mask issue, and I can't say much on that topic, but there's actually a parallel here. When you're required to speak a lie or engage in a lie, there's something kind of humiliating about it, personally, there's, because you're kind of engaging in a sort of denial of self each time. And as you do that, you're, it's kind of self-defacing. As you do so, you, you deny yourself, you adhere to the group, and, and each individual time it kind of wears a person down and his sense of worth is worn down as well. Um, Superhip says, you're from the UK with a slight American accent. I am from England with something of an American accent. Everybody seems to disagree over how strong it is, and I can't hear because it's my accent, so I'll take your word for it. Okay. Um, Oh, I like this one. You're far too educated to not be compromised. That's interesting. I was telling somebody about this recently. Um, I'm not actually educated, formally. Um, no, actually, I have very limited uh, formal education. I uh, did not go to college at all. I'm really very heavily self-taught. And this is a story that I've actually told before on stream, but I'll tell it again. You see, when I was um, about 12 years old, like first year of high school in England, um, I, I was exposed to a book that sort of red-pilled me uh, called They Were White and They Were Slaves. And w what was interesting about the book was not so much that it was teaching about an issue that I hadn't heard, which is that white people were slaves throughout the world. But what was more interesting than that was the fact that it enlightened me to the fact that the educational system in which I was imprisoned, you know, imprisoned, you know, because that's the way I saw it, of course, they were stealing, they were stealing years of my life away, and they were, but that they were lying, that they were lying through omission, and that my education was incomplete, and I think that that actually, in a very real sense, changed who I kind of came to be, because I never did fully trust the educational system for my education thereafter. I saw it as necessarily lacking, and as a result of that, I spent a lot more time paying attention to alternative sources. And I kind of grew up in the time where the internet was kind of 
just starting to be. We didn't have like smartphones when I was in high school or anything like that. But we had enough kind of exposure without the sort of censorship that goes on in modern uh, social media and any of that, because social media wasn't really a thing much. So yeah, uh, it, it, it is certainly true that my education is um, not formal. Uh, but I appreciate the fact that you think that I'm uh, highly educated. Um, anyway. <laughs> Um, Dave Simmons says, article in the Denver Post, should Colorado still use the term sex offender? A state board is considering new language. Okay, um, I wasn't going to talk about this just yet, but let's go ahead and do that because it leads into what you're talking about. So I had actually another topic that, that leads in because it's actually really similar, right? So at a university called Old Dominion, Old Dom there's a professor there called Alan Walker. And he's become kind of a little bit infamous online um, because he put out this lecture saying that sexual attraction to children is not always immoral, and further, that he wants to destigmatize pedophiles by referring to them as minor attracted persons. Now, there's a lot there, and I do want to kind of slow down before we kind of impulse react to it. All right. Because there are two claims, and they're separate, and I think that we should respond to them differently. All right. First claim is that pedophilic attraction is not immoral because we can't control attraction. We can only control what we do. All right. And to some degree, I agree with that because, like, pedophiles are, are produced by pedophilia. They can't necessarily help it. So, you know, okay. Second claim is much more far out because the claim is that the term pedophilia is too stigmatizing, hence the desire for the minor attracted persons, which also says that the stigmatization is a bad thing. And actually, I disagree, like all around on that. Firstly, um, it should be stigmatizing. Uh, the idea of pedophilia should be heavily stigmatized in our society. We should prioritize protecting children in our society. Um, pedophilia is not by itself an offensive term, except for what it means. Like, pedophilia is the correct scientific term, you know, pedo from a Greek word that means child, and philia meaning like loving or attraction to. It, you know, it actually should perhaps be like more like eros or something, but in any case, that's what you're talking about, loving or attraction to children. It's not by itself a term that's intended to be um, negative, it's simply descriptive, and because it's descriptive, we respond host with hostility to that because we should, right? Because, you know, because pedophiles harm children, because we should protect children from them. And the societal stigma regarding pedophilia and the condemnation thereof is one thing that discourages people from acting on it. It is. And, you know, that that's simply the way that it is. And it, it should be that way. And there is, you know, when it came to the topic of like you know gay marriage and so on we were um there were some people who were talking about the, the kind of slippery slope as it, as it pertained to children and some of those who are seen to be the more extreme would argue that down the road we're going to be normalizing pedophilia and here we are in the kind of sort of early stages of that of the sort of normalization of, of pedophilia so uh, I think it's something that, see, whenever you, it ties into a very first topic where I talked about homosexuality as a sexual orientation, because when you accept that, 
when you accept that there are orientations. A person is just born with an inherent attraction to whoever he's attracted to, and that's just it. And therefore, to, 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 to speak negatively of that is in some way a denial of his humanity, right? When you accept that, then you have to say, well, okay, so what about pedophilia? Well, maybe that's just his orientation. That's the line of thought. And so it really did start with the acceptance that, hey, homosexuality isn't a mental illness or a product of abuse or a product of, in some way, a lacking household, but rather that it's just inherent. And when you accept that thesis, you open the door that everything, you know, all these different degeneracies are in some way inherent, inseparable from the identity of the person, and should be accepted. And that's why you have, and we'll, you know, have the LGBTQ+, plus, you know, and there'll be a M for, you know, minor attracted persons, which is the, what they've been trying to push for for a while. It's what a lot of different pedophiles self-identify as. You'll see it on Twitter and certain bios and stuff like that, um, because they want to identify each other, most likely for sharing pictures and that kind of thing, but I'm being speculative uh, at that point, just not not highly speculative, it seems pretty likely. The truth is, if you can traumatize kids, then you create a society of really messed up individuals who are amoral. Or immoral. And the, the, I mean, it, do we even have a society if we don't care about protecting kids chiefly? Because I don't think we do. Like, I think that's kind of a cornerstone of what I would consider civilization. Like a, an actual civilized society, as opposed to just a bunch of savages. You know, and, and therein lies the sort of degeneration that goes on when you accept all kinds of different sexual immoralities. Um, yeah, it, I, I do find it interesting uh, the way that so often the pedophilic groups are also homosexual groups. Uh, somebody in the chat, I saw it scroll back quickly, mentioned Nambler, which is of course the North American Man-Boy Love Association, which is a, an open pedophilic group, but it's of course homosexual, right? It's man-boy, not you know, adult child, um, and that's because there is an overlap between uh, homosexuality and pedophilia. This is another one of those topics that nobody wants to hear, um, but it is, and I think that the reason for that is that the type of abusive environment that causes one often causes the other. Okay, uh, I'm just kind of uh, catching up on your chat whilst before I move on to the next topic because I've, I've got my my topics all out of order now thanks to you guys <laughs> um, seriously yeah they, they, and yes that they are destroying the family and traumatizing kids at the same time it all goes toward the same kind of end goal which is quite literally the destruction of our society um, yeah and with that by the way the Ghislaine uh, Maxwell trial is starting I know everyone's kind of so focused on the Kyle Rittenhouse trial that I kind of wonder uh, if anybody will pay any attention to that of course, she's the woman who allegedly groomed underage girls for Jeffrey Epstein, and not, of course, just for Jeffrey Epstein, but for all of the different elites, or elitists, in our society who flew on his uh, jet and went to his uh, island, his Lolita Island, and all of that. And so, because Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself, but apparently died, um, because of that, um, we we kind of end up having sort of a, a trial by proxy, like through Ghislaine Maxwell, because a lot of people who wanted the trial uh, simply can't. 
Donkey says, why, why, why can't I super chat? You cannot because I got demonetized, actually. Uh, the whole channel is demonetized on YouTube. You can uh, give donations. I do appreciate them. I do have links in the description, but we cannot do super chats um, because YouTube hates me. Okay, in any case, yes, uh, Top Secret Bear says still waiting on those names to drop. Yeah, exactly. We still don't have the names and the FBI went over to that island. I don't know if you, you guys remember this, right? It's not been that long, but it was in the Epstein early days, sort of. He, um, he got arrested and taken to, to jail and then the FBI went to the island to collect evidence. And there were a lot of people who were just like at the same time in this like collective roar, like like there goes the evidence, and this is kind of where we are. It's like we all knew that we wouldn't get the the full list FBI, and certainly certainly we wouldn't have a bunch of different people charged because what happened to that? Like supposedly there were actual tapes that Jeffrey Epstein kept as sort of um, basically dirt on the people that went to the island to sleep with underage girls. Right? Supposedly there was a bunch of tapes of that. We know that there were flight logs of all the people who went there, and why did they go there if not for the underage girls? I thought I lost my connection there for a second. About the different elitist pedophiles that were going around doing the sort of- been a problem for a long time, I'm not sure why it's like, like, in the elite circles you have a lot of different pedophiles who are protected. Okay. Okay, I'm back, apparently. Alright, so, let's let's continue. As best we can. Apparently, I, I presume I'm having some internet connections uh, issues tonight because I know that the DLive people seem to be having issues in addition to the YouTube people, so most likely it's actually an internet problem. Alright, so we have audio for now, I presume, given from what you guys are saying. Uh, I will finish up by saying that Ghislaine Maxwell's trial is on November 29th. So, uh, that's, I mean, at the moment they're doing jury selection. I will, I will follow the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. I, I'm not certain that the media will. In fact, I think that if the media, I'm just going to keep on talking because you can probably at least hear me. That if, if the media, uh, does in fact cover the Ghislaine, Mas Ghislaine Maxwell trial, it'll be because the alternative media, people like me and the rest of the people that you enjoy watching on YouTube and other platforms are actually, uh, doing a good job. There is no way that the mainstream media wants to cover this topic. In fact, the mainstream media covered this topic, oh sorry, covered up this topic for some time. Um, this was something that they knew about that was happening and instead they ignored it, they covered it up, refused to cover the topic. And in fact, um, it was Project Veritas, I think, uh, released some behind the scenes footage of uh, MSNBC uh, talking about the Jeffrey Epstein issue and then refusing to, to do so, refusing to cover the topic. It was buried from the higher-ups is what the actual conversation said. So yeah, I will again be covering that when it happens. Right now a jury selection began yesterday, so there's not a whole lot. Okay, and so apparently the video is caught up, so I'm just going to continue for now. I think we, we apparently had a temporary dropout. I'm hoping that it kind of um, continues okay from here. All right, we'll see, I guess. Uh, all right, this, the next topic is actually something that I feel really strongly about, so I'm, I, I really am hoping that the internet connection um, holds up for this. All right, so the largest United States bank is J.P. Morgan Chase, and they just cut off um, an event, a, a Donald Trump Jr. event, all right? So... <laughs> 
this is kind of the way that things are going and I've been talking about the kind of attack using the banking sector for some time but the thing is Donald Trump Jr. is a pretty mainstream figure right you know what I mean like you know we've talked before about gab censorship and Laura Luma censorship which is one thing and is and it matters but this is I think the most uh, flamboyant instance of this kind of thing happening so what actually happened is there was a, an event planned for St. Charles, Missouri on December 3rd by Donald Trump Jr. and others. And what actually happened was that WePay, which is a uh, subsidiary or a product created by J.P. Morgan Chase, informed the organizer of, of the event, or one of the organizers, Paul Kurtman, that it would no longer do business with his group based on alleged violation of terms of service. And then, then instantly, they refunded $30,000 in payments, which is a lot of different tickets that had already been processed for the event. Now, I looked at the um, terms of service that were cited, and it said, per our terms of, terms of service, we're unable to process for hate, violence, racial intoler intolerance, terrorism, the financial exploitation of a crime, and it goes on and on and on. Okay, well, what is hate? That's my first question. What is hate? An intense dislike, I believe, would probably be the dictionary definition of hate. Um, for what? For whom? Is it for an idea? Because, I mean, if this bank is literally... Well, it is. This bank is literally deciding to discriminate on the basis of um, ideology, of what, what you hate. And you might hate big government. You know, who knows? But seriously, when you draw a line as arbitrary as that and draw a bank, there's something seriously disturbing about that. You know, it's one thing when Facebook does it. And yes, I don't think that massive social media platforms that have been funded by our government should be doing it either. But I think it's far more significant when it comes down to banking, because really what it comes down to is ultimately whether or not people are forced to starve in the coming world for speaking the truth. And that's what we're going toward. And this is something that, again, uh, I think Chase, yeah, Chase was the one that did this to Enrique Tarrio, uh, who was, I'm not sure if he still is, but he was chairman of the Proud Boys at the time. Also did it to Laura Luma. Lauren Witzke received the same treatment from Wells Fargo. And in those three cases, you're talking about personal accounts. You're not talking even about business accounts. I imagine that with this most recent case with Donald Trump Jr., it sounds like since they were going through WePay that it was more of a business account. But in any case, you're talking about, this point, mainstream political activism. And that being prevented by the biggest bank in America. That should not be uh, happening, frankly. It's, it's a really troubling sign because ultimately we're moving in the direction of a cashless society that was tested uh, during the COVID saga, can 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 they just simply say, we only accept credit cards because we're having a coin shortage? And the answer was yes. And people will go along and they'll just use a credit card. Well, okay, that, that's fine, except for the fact, or, or a debit card. That's fine, except for the fact that increasingly banks are refusing uh, business with political figures who are on the right, right? I, I don't, it doesn't really matter if you like any of these figures, but it matters that instead that they're being left to starve 
at least they will be when the rest of the banks engage in this same kind of behavior. Apparently, there is an operation that was in effect during the Obama administration called Operation Choke Point, which has come back under Biden but was paused under Trump, where basically the administration would place pressure on financial institutions to combat uh, the hateful, or let's put it um, more bluntly and more realistically, uh, the opposition of the Biden administration, or the, or as it was, the Obama administration. That's what it is. It's the targeting of political rivals using economic terrorism from the top. That's what is actually happening, and everyone should be absolutely horrified for that, about that. I mean, because it's limitless. It's, I mean, we end up moving toward a world where you say, well, I have opinion X, but I'm unwilling to say it because what happens if I can't have a bank account? What happens if I can't have either a credit or a debit card because no bank will take me? And you'll say, well, there are lots of different credit unions. And yeah, there are. But all of your credit and debit cards run through, what, four networks. And that's being generous because uh, you've got Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and American Express. And not all of those are accepted everywhere. So there are two main networks, Visa and MasterCard. Both of those different, and again, that's his credit and debit card, they, both of them through like, you know, Visa and MasterCard. And in those instances, they've both been willing to cut off people for having the wrong opinion. Um, and if you take something like, I think Discover was the one who uh, got rid of Give, Send, Go, because they were helping to fund Carl Rittenhouse's defense, and so on. This is the direction that we're going, such that say, a person who defends himself can't mount a proper legal defense because the banking institutions won't allow him to receive donations from other people who believe in his, not only his defense, but in his right to even try and mount a decent defense with capable attorneys. And so this is a topic that really I don't think is, is limited in scope, I think it should be something that everyone is screaming about all at the same time, and they're not. I think very few people take it as seriously as they should. I remember, okay, it was probably, and I'm going from memory here because I, I lived it, it was uh, back in 2005-ish, uh, when the first bank, let's see, what was it called? Um, HSBC uh, was the bank to first cut off the British National Party by saying they didn't want to associate with, and I forget the term that they used, but you know, the same that they use now, fascist, Nazis, the far right, etc. And so that was kind of a, a big deal at the time when HSBC was the first one to do that and just say, no, we refuse to bank with you. And the British National Party was like the third biggest party at the time in the country of Britain. Um, and then after that first bank said no, I think one bank after another uh, refused to do business with this mainstream political party, and in so doing, attempted to basically uh, financially strangle the party such that it was unable to uh, operate. And when you think about the implications of that, of the banking sector itself kind of coming together to strangle a political party because they don't like the ideology that's being pushed by that, and they don't really care about the fact that there are individual members of society who should be deciding which political parties uh, get to thrive and which ones don't. That's the entire point of uh, the system, as it were. And instead, you had this, you had this setup where it was like uh, uh, the banks decided, or they thought they did. Eventually, I think they, the British National... I haven't read his books, though.
Uh, Trevor Smith, are the banks confiscating money? Uh, in most cases, what's happening is that the the money is being held and then mailed to them by check. Hold on, I believe that I'm having an issue. Uh, let me know if I'm still coming through okay, and I will have in some real problems uh, tonight, clearly. Okay, I'm back now, apparently. Oh, uh, Lawrence, hopefully I'm coming through, says Laura Towler's accounts were cancelled here, here in England. Yes, I did hear about that. Oh, and I remember what the question was now. It was whether or not the money is being stolen. Well, in the case of this event that Donald Trump Jr. Uh, was setting up, the money was refunded to all the different people who had bought tickets, which effectively meant that they had to cancel the event because they could no longer you know, pay the costs associated with the event. People hadn't you know, bought tickets or any of that. So that was a problem. In the case of Lauren Witzke, who got cancelled by Wells Fargo, that was a different instance because that was her only bank. And so, yes, they gave her her money back, but in a belated way, they're like, we're going to send you a check. Well, she wasn't even in the same state. She was like down in Florida and she was up in one of the sort of Midwest states is where she's from. I forget which one. Um, but in any case, she was like way away from that. And so she had to rely on friends and family who were down there with her in Florida um, in order to just basically function. Otherwise, she would have been stranded. And so uh, if you're doing any sort of, well, this kind of work, it would behoove you to at least have a couple of different accounts at a couple of different um, banks. All right, guys, I think that considering the audio issue, sorry, the, the yeah, well, the audio and video issue, I'm figuring I should probably wrap this up because we're kind of having uh, some serious issues tonight, unfortunately. Um, I have enjoyed this uh, nonetheless, but I kind of figure since we still kind of giving, no, well, we're having very intermittent issues that it's not really, well, apparently we're back again. No, we're gone again. All right, so I, I am going to wrap this up. Guys, I have enjoyed it, and I'm sorry about the, the internet issues that I did not expect. I'm not sure if we're going to um, have a stream next week, because next week will be Thanksgiving here in the United States. Uh, and so I kind of figure that most people will be, well, I'm not sure busy this late at night, but uh, maybe on the West Coast they will be. But if they're not busy, they'll probably be tired um, and sleeping, perhaps. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider helping to support it. You can give a one-time donation or buy a branded mug at thecrusadergal.com. Or you can donate monthly by searching for my name, Sarah Courier, at Subscribestar. Thank you so much. I couldn't do this without your support. And whether you can help financially or not, don't forget to tell your friends. Big Tech isn't going to help me spread the word. Thank you.